Welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey guys, and happy Wednesday. If you're listening to this episode live, I just wanted to come on here quickly before we get into it and just say a massive, massive thank you to everybody who has listened along so far. I have cracked over a thousand downloads for the podcast this far, which is just absolutely incredible. And I'm very proud of being able to get to that point. Also, thank you so much to everyone who has jumped on and listened to not only all of the episodes, but the episode that I put up last week with Zoe has gone absolutely nuts. So you guys have really, really, I guess, enjoyed listening along to her story and what she's been through. And I've had a lot of messages from people who really resonated with different parts of her story, Um, even though it mightn't have been exactly the same. That has just been some really great feedback. So I'm super grateful for that. Also, all of my fundraising events and whatnot have all wrapped up and I have the final number of what I was able to fundraise for Breakthrough Foundation um, through several different events that I had held and through just the very, very gracious donations that everyone has put through and I am super excited to announce that I actually was able to raise (laughs) $4,405. Nice little funny number for Breakthrough Foundation. So that is absolutely amazing. It is more than I raised last year, which was my goal was just to beat uh, what I raised last year. I think it was only by a couple of hundred dollars, but that's really beside the point. I'm just, yeah, feeling very grateful to everybody for all of their support in that space as well. And yeah, keep your eyes peeled on my socials. I'm going to pop up a little thank you and like a little wrap up from that. Other than that, my week this week has been getting back into it. I had three weeks off of work. So I had my first full week back at work last week, which was... um, (laughs) as you would expect, I suppose, a little bit stressful, but I do really enjoy my job and I really enjoy um, the people that I work with and work alongside. So it was just, you know, getting back into routine and getting back into training and things like that. So fairly, you know, usual back to the grind type week, really. But if you do follow me online, you may have also seen that I had an addition to the family this week. I adopted a little kitten. At this point, she still does not have a name. I cannot decide on a name for the life of me. Um, Some friends of mine, they found her abandoned somewhere out north. She was in the little cage and she was covered in fleas and malnourished and she had mites in her ears. And so they took her home and they gave her a lot of love. 
I think they had her for a couple of weeks, I think. And then I saw them post her on their stories on Instagram. And once I saw her, I just fell in love. And so I contacted them and she came home with me last week, last Wednesday. So I've had her, I mean, it's Sunday right now when I'm recording this. So I've had her for about half a week or so. And she is just gorgeous. And she has a lot of energy. And I forgot what it was like to have a kitten I did have a cat back in Indonesia. His name is Paco and he's massively fat now. <laughs> if anyone saw, he, I swear he must go from house to house eating everybody's food because he's about three times the size of every other cat there. But yeah, so we're going, you know, I'm going through. She was toilet trained um, when I picked her up. So just she flicks the litter everywhere. So I need to get myself a better little box. But she has just been a delight and a nice little addition to my home. So very excited about that. Now, the other thing I did want to talk about before we get into today's episode with Aaron, I'm really, really excited to bring this to you. But in the episode, when we recorded this, he actually... Um, mentioned um, a piece of legislation to me that I had not heard about before. And so after we recorded, I went back and I Googled it and I sort of started to have a look into it and I thought it was really interesting and we didn't go into it into much depth at all uh, when we were talking. So I thought that I would just come back to it now because I thought if I found it interesting that perhaps there would be people out there also who would find it interesting So today's story um, centers a lot around addiction, and I won't go into too much about that now because we will go into it in the episode, but Aaron mentioned the fact that there was a piece of legislation being passed in the ACT, so in in Canberra, so, and this is set to become the first Australian jurisdiction to decriminalise small amounts of commonly used illicit drugs such as ice, heroin, cocaine, and speed. Now, I'm reading this off of an article that is online from ABC News that was posted on the 9th of June. So basically through reading this, um, what it's saying is that users of small amounts of uh, of illegal drugs will be fined rather than charged under this proposed law. So they want to target, obviously, the dealers and the people who are selling it and um, I guess like the people who are producing it and things like that. But people who are found to have um, like small amounts on them or like that would be considered like personal personal possession rather than like a trafficable quantity, they, they will receive fines instead of being like charged criminally for that. Now on, the, on this, I was not able to find like what what constituted a small personal amount or what was a trafficable amount. But I just thought it was really interesting because especially after I had this conversation with Aaron, he's the first person I've really spoken to before who has been through an addiction. And so I've learned a lot in this episode and definitely it gave me um, a different point of view and a really a a better understanding of what it is like for somebody when they're going through this because truth be told I probably held a bit of stigma and held a lot of 
not a lot of judgment, but held a different, I guess, understanding of what it was like to be an addict. And I think there are lots of people out there who would probably say the same thing as me because there's just, you know, you have this particular view of what an addict might be or why they're an addict and whatnot. And so it was, yeah, like I said, I learned a lot from that episode. And so having listened to him and what he'd been through to then see this piece of legislation come through or be proposed, it makes me feel very good to have read that. So basically what they're saying is that they recognise that the harm that's associated with drug use is a health issue and that treating it like it's like treating drug use as if it's a criminal matter, it doesn't actually help the addicts in the end. If somebody is an addict, you find them with drugs and you throw them in jail, you're not necessarily getting them the help that they need to get better. So potentially they're just going to go to jail and then they're going to come out and they're going to do, you're going to go back to those drugs. So I guess, you know, giving them the fines and I don't know what more is in place. Like if there's going to be like a mandatory um, like course, like if you, if you are found with drugs, you might have to attend a, a seminar or something. I'm, I don't know. Like I don't have all of the issue, like all of the answers, I guess, but it has just been very, I just, yeah, just found this really, really interesting. In the article as well, it actually states that um, a survey was done last year and a lot of people from Canberra, they they overwhelmingly supported further efforts to decriminalise the drugs and only one in 10 supported imprisonment for possession offences. So I do feel like as society, there is definitely more of an understanding coming through around addiction and, you know, wanting to be able to help people that find themselves, um, sadly, in, in this position. In saying this as well, it does state in this article that the New South Wales Police Commissioners had warned that the change could be dangerous and also that potentially the fines could have a bigger impact on people who are poor or people who are experiencing homelessness. So I guess there is always two sides to every story and there's going to be an impact either way. But I just thought that, yeah, like I said, this I just found it very interesting because I had no idea about, about this piece of legislation that was potentially going through and I just found it really fitting uh, coming into this episode today with Aaron and so I thought I would share that with you. But that's enough from me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to High Tide, Low Tide, everyone. I am so glad that you're here joining me today. In today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit around the substance use disorder, which involves using too much alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs. It can also be called substance abuse, substance dependence, or addiction. And around 1 in 20 Australians currently has an addiction or substance abuse problem. It can result in changes to long-term damage to the brain and other organs and is a major cause of mental illness. Most commonly abused in Australia are tobacco and alcohol, and there's probably no surprises there. And approximately one in every 10 Australians aged 14 and over smoke every day, and approximately one in six Australians drink to risky levels. Drug use disorder includes the use of illegal drugs such as cannabis or amphetamines, as well as prescription medications. 
It is estimated that 43% or 9 million Australians aged 14 and over have illicitly used a drug in their life and 16% or 3.4 million have used one in the last 12 months. Now, some of those statistics may not be that surprising because um, we have seen a little bit of that in the media and people are talking about it. And I'm very, very excited today to have an amazing guest joining me. And his name is Aaron. So thank you so much for joining me today, Aaron. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And thank you for coming to see me on a Sunday afternoon. Of course, yeah, no worries. (laughs) So would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. um, So my name is Aaron. Uh, Like Lisa said, I'm from Canada, but my wife is from Adelaide. She actually went to high school with Lisa, which is how I know Lisa. Yes. So I've moved here in the past year. Um, I have quite a history of substance abuse and uh, mental health issues. So that's, uh, that's why I'm here to talk today. Amazing. So first thing I want to ask you today is how are you actually doing today? Today, today I'm doing pretty good. My wife is actually currently in hospital, uh, psychiatric hospital for uh, some some borderline personality disorder issues. Yeah. So that's been a, a bit of a you know added stress in my life uh, mm-hmm. and hers, obviously. Yes. Um, but that's just something that that we're dealing with right now. But uh, in addition, or, you know, but with the exception of that, I'm uh, I'm pretty good today. I'm doing well. Good. I'm very glad to hear that. And um, as you mentioned, Jade and I went to school together and she has been amazingly open on her own social media about what she's been going through. And that has been, I want to say it's been amazing to watch, not amazing that she's going through it, but I think that it's really important that people are open and honest in that way. So I've been thinking about her knowing that she was away in the last month and I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, how far she's come and, you know, what the road ahead looks like for her as well. Yeah, I think her approach on on social media and just being so open and honest is is really important also in just reducing stigma around these mm. kinds of things like like BPD and you know a lot of mental health issues have uh, a lot of stigma surrounding them so I think it's very important for people to speak openly and honestly about them. 100%. Cool. So, let's take this back to the start. So, you know, you've had a, a a, a long-ish journey, you would you say? Oh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's go back to the start. And where do you think it all began or was there something that triggered it or let's go back there? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've kind of had mental health issues all my life. Like at six years old, I was in anger management classes when my parents got divorced. Uh, right. And in, in junior high, um, I don't, do you call it junior high here? I don't know. Is From, that? <laughs> it's like years seven through nine. Okay. We kind of, yeah, we used to have like primary school and high school. So you're, okay. that's kind of like in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so in like year, year nine, um, my mom got divorced again and I started uh, smoking weed every day. Um, it was obviously, you know, it started to interfere with my school. Um, so how old were you at this stage? 13. Then? 13. 13, yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't blame the drugs. Like these were choices that I made. Yeah. Um, but that is, that is kind of the, the crux. That's where it all started. Yeah. Uh, so that, that continued throughout high school. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated, I needed to find a job. So I got a job as a, as a cook. I got a job in the hospitality industry, which I'm sure a lot of people listening know is, is very prone to substance abuse. Yeah. Um, so I started drinking and, you know, partying all the time and the drinking ended up becoming daily. And then that evolved into cocaine use 
you know, which which started just on the weekends, you know, with with friends, and then a lot of my friends kind of grew out of the cocaine. Mm-hmm. But as an addict, I I did not grow out of it. Uh, so it yeah. it evolved into me doing cocaine on my own, uh, hiding it from everyone, you know, doing it on on a daily basis, which mm-hmm. is not conducive to to a healthy lifestyle. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, that it kind of just evolved from from that into yeah. So yeah, it kind of started with 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 the weed when I was younger, and then in, into drinking, and then into the the you know harder chemical drugs on a daily basis. Right. You said that it had progress to like daily use of the cocaine. What did that mean for you, or what did that look like for you? Right. So that was that was definitely at its worst. I would fight myself on a daily basis because I didn't. I didn't want to be using cocaine daily. Yeah. But at that stage, I almost felt I needed to use daily to get back to like a baseline level of Aaron. Yeah. So generally, you know, my my night would end around 4 or 5 a.m. because it's cocaine and you can't sleep. Yeah. Uh, I would get up for work around, you know, 8.30 or 9, do my best to, to get through my day. And then at the end of the day, the the internal monologue of I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use today, mm-hmm. but I but I could use today, but I could just use a little today to get me through to tomorrow, and then that you know that obviously always turned into the same driving to my dealer's house and 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 buying more drugs and just starting that cycle all over again, and that that's pretty much what it looked like for for close to two years. Um, and the the drinking went hand in hand with with the drugs, so that was it was it was daily drinking and and mm-hmm. daily daily cocaine. Yeah, but it was not like a wake up and do it type thing. It was you fight off most of the day until usually yeah. Uh, there were obviously certain bad days when I yeah. quote unquote needed it to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Depending on you know my stress level and you know just how bad how terrible I was feeling that day, so yeah, there, there definitely were days where I would where that happened. Yes, you know, sneak off to the to the toilet in the middle of a shift and, and yeah. use and then go back. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think I tried to justify it to myself by not doing it during the workday. Like yeah. I felt I just felt better about myself if I yeah. could only do it at night. Yeah. Like addicts are great at justifying their behavior and finding loopholes in 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 the way that they do it so that it seems less terrible yeah and so at this point when you were doing it daily how much were you spending on drugs Um, and or alcohol in a week on like as a guess yeah i don't i don't want to talk about no it's you you don't have to no i'm joking it's just it's just a terrible (laughs) amount of money so I think cocaine here in Australia is about $350 a gram. Luckily, in Canada, it's only <laughs> like 60 Um What? Yeah. Wow, that's, that's huge difference. It's a massive. That's one of the reasons cocaine is so it's, much more yeah. prevalent in North America. Yeah. Um, because where it's made in South America, it's just Closer. driven straight up. Like yeah. you don't have to get to a magical little island in the yeah. middle of the ocean. <laughs> um, so on average, I would do a, a gram-ish a gram and a half a day. Yeah. Um, so about, you know, somewhere between 60 and 90 a day plus alcohol. So probably another 20 there. So mm-hmm. easily, you know, $120 a day. Yeah. And then the weekends would be worse. Um, yeah. But yeah. 
So even though we just said, oh, you know, luckily, unluckily, the price difference, yeah. like regardless, that was that's still a substantial amount. Oh, yeah. Yeah, $120 or $100 even every yeah. day is still a lot to be spending. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you're in Australia, that would be astronomical. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing that. No. But, well, you know, it's, it's still even so, you know, that was a large amount to yeah, be it, I spending. Think on average, it would be about four to $5,000 a month. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So very good that we're not spending that anymore. Yes. <laughs> I spend it on shoes now. I have a sne- oh, I, I have a sneaker addiction, which, like, as an addict, I, I, I feel my addiction behavior in, in a lot of things I do. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, it's not great that I have a, a sneaker addiction, but it's a lot healthier than a cocaine addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Favorite shoes? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I or can. brands? Do you have a particular? I, I'm, brand? A, I'm a Nike guy for the most part. Okay. So I have a lot yeah. of Jordans. I have a lot of you know Air, Air Max ones and yeah. yeah. And I we actually shipped all like seventy pairs of them from Canada on a boat. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So now they're all set up in my office at, at home. Do you have more than that now? Seventy pairs. I have. I'm probably pushing eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to USG? I don't even. Know, I don't even know what that Ooh. is. Oh, I'll let you know once I'm oh, finished. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe I shouldn't tell you where the shoe store is. <laughs> I'll find it. I'm an addict. I'll find it regardless. So awesome. And so, at what's the sort of timeline here? So we started with the, the weed when you were like 13, and then after school, yeah, uh, when so you finished school and you're working as a cook, you would have been yeah, 17, 18? Eight, 17, 18 is yeah. when I really started drinking heavily, and then the cocaine uh, about 23 or 24. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's oh, like it's not like it was a very like fast slope. This was like a you know a ten year evolution. Yeah. It's yeah, the it's, wrong it's, word. It's a but... weird word to use for it, but yeah, it was a, it was a gradual thing. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, how did that affect you on a daily basis? In a lot of ways. So I'm I'm what's called a high functioning addict. So I never missed a shift of work. I was never mm-hmm. late for work because if anything like that happened to me then I had to admit that I had a problem. Right. So, I mean, it, it affected my relationships in that, you know, my mood was obviously all over the place. I was spending a lot of money, you know, throwing away a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, it just really started to affect my relationships with, with you know, my now wife, Jade, and with my family and yeah, really, really no, no upside. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so... Did anyone have any idea what was going on at that time? Not at first. I think, like, well, with my drinking, my, my family and my wife, I think they knew that I drank too much, that I had a drinking problem. Yeah. I mean, deep down, I knew I had a drinking problem. But to actually admit that and to say that out loud is is very difficult. difficult. After doing cocaine in secret on a daily basis for about, a, I don't know, 14 months. Yeah. Um, you know, I had tried to stop on my own and it didn't work. So I told Jade, I said, you know, I've been secretly doing cocaine on a daily basis and I think I need help. And she was obviously shocked, but but very right. supportive. Yeah. So we, tr- I, I tried going to NA, I tried going to Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. Which works for a lot of people, but didn't really work for me. And was that easily accessible? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. For Like NA and AA are, are easily accessible even here, like I've looked into meetings here. Great. Um, and they're, they're free. And it, it is a great resource for a lot of people. 
Yeah. But for me, sitting in a room full of fellow addicts and talking about drugs just triggered it. And I would usually leave the meeting and then go use drugs. Right. So, yeah, we didn't really have a plan on on what would work. Mm -hmm. But it... Essentially, what ended up happening was, uh, so we were, like I said, we were living in Canada at the time. My wife is here, uh, from here, from Adelaide. Yeah. And she essentially sat me down and said, you know, I love you. I, she sat me down. She said, I love you, but I can't do this anymore. Like, this is not healthy for either of us. Um, so if you can't get help, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to Australia. Right, so it's uh, a bit of an ultimatum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and with I think, love. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. And I think that's, for addicts, you know, interventions and ultimatums like that are often the only thing that works. Right. Because a lot of the, the consequences of, of using are internal um, and you can, you know, you can hide them and mm-hmm. whatnot. But when, when your soon-to-be wife, you know, says that she's going to leave, that's, that's, that's kind of rock bottom. Yeah. Um, so I found a, an outpatient, sorry, an inpatient rehab facility uh, in Canada. I went and signed into that and did uh, four weeks of of inpatient treatment with you know intense group therapy and intense one on one therapy and classes and yeah. And so an inpatient treatment means that you are living, sleeping, eating everything at the facility. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. So. And- Roughly how many other people were there at the same time? So they did it in a, it's like a three-week cycle. So okay. a, a group of about, I don't know, maybe 12 to 15 people comes in uh, and they're, they're week one. And then there's two other groups of 12-ish people and they're on week two and week three. Right. So, you know, each week one group cycles out and a new group cycles in. Uh, so there were probably 40, 45 people there at the time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so you went through this um, treatment for three weeks? Uh, four weeks. Four weeks, yeah. yeah. And then what happened after that when you came back out? I felt great at first. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was a – so after getting out, I thought everything would just be easy and, uh, and I was done. Yeah, like um, you'd done the hard work of yeah. that four weeks and now it w- everything was going to be fine. Yeah, as, as if the problems would just be solved. Right. Um, so, so quitting drinking was easy. I quit drinking two months prior to rehab. Oh, and great. Congratulations. Had a, thank you. Haven't what? had a drink since. It's been Amazing. Eight, eight, eight and a half years now. Wow. Um, the drugs, the, the cocaine was not as easy. Yeah. Um, I relapsed uh, two or three times after getting out of rehab. Right. And after my final, my final relapse, my sister, who was pregnant at the time, kind of gave me a, another ultimatum of... You know, I appreciate the work you've put in, but if you're going to be using drugs, like you aren't going to be able to see your your nephew. Yeah. Okay. So again, that's that motivation of, you know, I could drastically mess up my life by continuing to do this this stuff. Yeah. That was enough to to finally kind of push me over that edge. Yeah, and that wouldn't have been easy for her either to say no, that. Like, no, I can't. I can't imagine. You know, going to your sibling and you know telling them that they're not going to be able to see their niece or nephew if they can't yeah. do something. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, that I think that was kind of enough to to finally spur you on that yeah. little bit. I pull, so I pulled my head in and Yeah. So that was July of 2014. Um so yeah, 2 weeks from now I'll actually be 8 years clean. Wow. Yeah. 
I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Me, <laughs> me too. Thank Good. you. Guys. Yeah. So it's 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 been a long time coming, yeah. but so yeah, that um, the ultimatum came from your sister. Yep. And then what did you do? Did you did you go back into another treatment? No, I I didn't. At that point, it was kind of just using what I had learned in rehab, you know, applying those kind of coping methods and and you know lessons I had learned. Mm-hmm. and removing myself from any situations where, you know, I could be triggered. I, I cut out about three quarters of my friend group. Okay. Um, not, you know, not maliciously, but no. they're, they're not addicts. They, they can drink and, and not have their life spiral out of control. Yes. Um, I yeah. am unfortunately not that type of person. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's like... you doing the right thing for you and making hard decisions that you have to make in order to keep yourself on track. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was again. It's all. It's all been tough. But mm-hmm. looking back, I, I wouldn't change any of it because I wouldn't be where I am now with without having made you know all that those hard choices and done that hard work. Absolutely. So obviously, we know that um, substance abuse and you know drinking to excess um, can affect somebody's mental health. How did it present for you? Well. It turns out that a large reason that I was abusing the drugs and alcohol is that I was self-medicating for mental health issues that I didn't really know I had. Yeah. Um, Like I suffer from anxiety. I suffer from depression. About 18 months ago, I was actually finally diagnosed with ADD. 18 months ago. Yeah. So at 33 years old. Wow. A psychiatrist finally said, have you ever been, you know, tested for, for ADD? And I said, no. And they, they tested me and I, I do actually have ADD. Wow. So, yeah, I, I think I think at a younger age, had a doctor maybe said, you might have some of these issues and, and they could have been taken care of at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe things would have been different. But, yeah, it, the substance abuse was really just me self-medicating. Mm-hmm. So after getting clean and sober, I had these new problems to deal with. Yeah. Um, I had the, the depression and the anxiety and, and, and everything else. So that kind of started the next step of the journey, which was trying to figure out how to deal with these other things healthily. Yeah. And so this was whilst you were still in Canada. Um, So what did you do whilst you were there um, to help you now deal with these new mental health issues that prior you didn't actually realize that you had? Yeah. Um, so lo- like, luckily I have or had uh, a fantastic family doctor who I had been yeah. seeing since I was about 15. Nice. Um, so I went and spoke with him, you know, numerous times and explained to him kind of what was going on. Um, we got me on some antidepressants, mm-hmm. which obviously helped the, the depression. Yeah. And that, that was kind of the, the beginning of it. And then it was kind of just relearning how to do life. Like one of my biggest fears was... I think I'm only, you know, funny or charming or anything because of the alcohol or because of the drugs. Right. Um, so learning that that was not actually the case and I was actually kind of a dickhead when, <laughs> when drunk um, or using. Yeah. Turns out that, see, so yeah, getting on the, the medication for the, for the depression and everything um, kind of helped me realize that I'm the same person. Yeah. If not, you know, a better person than I was when I was using and drinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think when I hear like how much you've been through and what you've, you know, and how far you've come, I just think, well done. 
Thank you. Like really Thank well done because that's not easy to kick not only one but multiple addictions. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've now moved across the other side of the world. Yeah, <laughs> and, again, Which yeah. we'll get to in a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you've just come so far and I just think, you know, if no one else has said it to you lately, I'm very proud of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. One of, one of the big things I actually learned in rehab was how to say thank you because so many people with mental health issues get a compliment and they, you know, you deflect it or you. Yes. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. It's just learning to say thank you and actually taking that, that yeah. compliment on. And it's genuine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're back in Canada. We've dealt with the addictions. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, something that you deal with. Still. Yes. Yeah. But um, then we've dealt with the the depression and the anxiety and medication was obviously something that was a big part in yeah. helping with that. Were there any other things that you use on a daily or weekly basis that help you take care of your mental health? Yeah, a big one, a weird one is my dog. Um, I love weird ones. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when we were in rehab, they said for the first six months post rehab, don't make any big life changing decisions. Yeah. Um, so a month after I got out of rehab, I got a dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was, you know, not, I wasn't supposed to, but I did. Yeah. And just having having Noodle, our little sausage dog, having something <laughs> that is reliant on you and, you know, something that you have to take care of yeah. um, really helps helps me keep things in perspective. And the endless love yes. that comes from Uncondition- a pet. Like ridiculous, unconditional love. Yes. Like leave the house for 20 minutes, <laughs> come back, and it's like it's been a month. And yes. they're just still so happy to see you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the dog um, – I have a fantastic support system, you know, with, with Jade, my wife and, and my family and, and friends. Yeah. So knowing that I can, can lean on them is, is very helpful. Absolutely. Um, as far as the anxiety and stuff goes, you know, I meditate when I can. I find that very helpful. You know, breathing exercises. Yeah. A whole bunch of, you know, little things that you learn in, in rehab or in, in therapy. It, it's kind of hard to nail down specifics because it depends on the day. It depends on yeah. the mood. But it's just being aware of, to me anyways, it's it's being aware of where you're at, uh, you know, what kind of headspace you're in mm. and just being able to kind of look at that almost from the outside and, and figure out what you need at that moment for, for self-care. Absolutely. Self-awareness is just such a valuable tool to yeah. have. I guess you would call it a tool because no one else can hear what's going on in your head but you. It's true, but it, it it's it's a very important tool, but it's also a very difficult thing to learn. Yeah, that self awareness. Yeah, because especially if you've had mental health issues for a long time, you you have essentially trained yourself to doubt yourself, mm. which which definitely complicates complicates <laughs> it. Definitely, <laughs> and I often talk about how I can't like that I can't always trust what my brain is telling me. Yeah. So it's like. Self-awareness is great, but am I, is the self-awareness today of the, the good part of my brain or the bad part of my brain? Yeah. So. <laughs> is this the anxiety speaking yeah. or is this actually me speaking? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think you're right, though. It really does depend on the day yeah. as to what you need and what you need to do to take care of yourself. Some days I'll need to sit on the couch and not speak to anybody and that's what I need to do, but... Other days that could possibly be the worst thing I could do for my mental health. So it's such a like, it really does just depend on the day. It's very difficult because there is no, 
go-to answer. Like, no, I... no one can say, like, well, what should I do today for self-care? Like, there, you can't, there's no, you know, fix it. There's no one fix for, for these these kinds of problems. Absolutely. And even, like, I, I think I'm very self-aware and I could list off all the things I need to do, but that's forever adapting. Of course, that's, yeah. you know, fluid because what I needed to do a year ago for my mental health may not be what I need to do now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you and Jade have now moved to Australia. Yes. And that was 12 uh, months ago? Just about, yeah. 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 So you went from being in Canada and having your, um, you know, your regular doctor and everything there. Then you've come over to Australia. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that transition went? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we made the decision to move from Canada to Australia in the middle of a global pandemic, which is, a, <laughs> it's a terrible decision. <laughs> like, no one should do that. But we had, we had already put off the move for about yeah. a, a year and a half. Um, you know, Jade wanted to live close to her family again. We had been in Canada for, for 10 years. So when COVID kind of just kept going, we, mm-hmm. we decided to make the move. It was obviously very difficult for for numerous reasons yeah um we we did the the medi hotel quarantine when we landed in sydney but the at the time two weeks the two weeks yep yeah um but at the time south australia was not allowing any residents to return to south australia <laughs> so even after that first two weeks we just had to rent a hotel in in sydney and wait another two weeks yeah um and you guys had a nightmare oh it was an absolute yeah it was a shit show <laughs> Um, and Sydney was shut down, so there was nothing we could do in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, and then we were finally allowed to come back to South Australia, so we did it. But we had to do another two weeks in, in, in the a, Medi Hotel. In another Medi Hotel quarantine. <laughs> so by the end of this six weeks six week period, yeah, we were over it. We were very much over it. Yeah. 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 But the, the other kind of big thing that, that that I ran into was trying to get my medications here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when we left Canada, you know, I got all of my medical records and from my doctor and brought them with. Yeah. Um, but trying to get ADD medication here is very difficult. Really? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it, it's, it, it is an amphetamine. Yeah. Which obviously could be abused by people. Yeah. So I, I understand some of the hesitance. But even with a, a psychiatrist letter from Canada... Uh, I then had to find a psychiatrist here in, in South Australia, which for those of you who don't know, mm. there's not enough psychiatrists in South Australia right now. No. So that was that was a challenge in itself. We I found a psychiatrist. Uh, he wrote me a letter saying that a doctor is allowed to prescribe me my medications, um, found a GP who was willing to do it. But even then, that GP has to get something called the Drugs of Dependence Unit Clearance. So they have to apply to give the prescription. Wow. Yeah. And then he had some sort of family issue back in India. So then he was just away. Oh, no. Um, And because I had started the process with him, there were no other GPs willing to take me on because they thought I I was just script shopping. Yeah, Um, yeah. So that pro- that that process started oh in God. October of last year of 2021, and literally earlier this week we finally got the <gasps> yeah the clearance from the the DDU. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's yeah. what's that like eight months? Can uh, I do math? <laughs> yeah, a little longer even. Yeah, it was. Oh my goodness! It was it was a nightmare. 
Um, and this is something that you were getting like easily back in Canada with yeah. the right prescription. Of course, yeah, yeah. Eight months yeah. is a long time to wait for something that assists you in day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Were you able to get anything else to help in um, the meantime? So I came. So when we left Canada, you're allowed to leave with uh, three months of medication. Okay. So I left with three months of my my ADD medication, thinking it might be kind of hard to get it here. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. Because I wasn't working when we first got here, I wasn't actually taking the medication. Um, I was yeah. kind of, you know, saving it for when I needed it. Yeah. So I was okay for three months when I started working. And then the GP was able to give me a one-month prescription. And then I explained the situation to a pharmacy that I will not name. Um, and they, they broke, they, they broke some rules and they, they gave me a couple extra months. Oh, I'm so um, glad. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually didn't run out at any point. Okay. But that's just due to this lovely. <laughs> Sneaky sneakies. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it that was, just, it was a hassle. Yeah. That just blows my mind. Like I understand that of course there needs to be due diligence. Of course within the system but if someone's providing you with with proof and with letters to have to jump through so many hoops to me just seems really annoying for once but like it just doesn't seem fair no no for someone who's just trying to look after themselves and keep you know everything on track to have to do that is just really disappointing in the health system i agree (laughs) Get it together, SA Health. Um, the drug that I'm on is called Vivance, and it's specifically formulated so that you can't really abuse it. Okay. Um, like something like a, a Ritalin or an Adderall yeah. can, can be, you know, crushed up and, and snorted and abused. Um, yeah. I'm obviously on one that is good for addicts that can't be abused. Yeah. Um, because the way it works is it's taken slowly into your bloodstream um, mm-hmm. and then just works over a number of hours. Yeah. So slow release. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not even an abusable drug. Yeah. Really. So yeah, it was it was a very frustrating situation, but I can imagine. I wonder if it's the same for all like ADD medications or if there's just specifics on a list. It's uh it seems to be from from my understanding yeah. and any of these ADD medications that are technically a form of amphetamine are a schedule 8 drug. Okay. Um yeah. So it's it's pretty serious stuff here oh, yeah interesting. but i mean like do you so do you know what melatonin is yes okay so back in canada melatonin you can get it at a kohl's or a grocery store yeah. and you just buy it off for the sleeping shelf. right yeah yeah because yeah. it just it fixes your circadian rhythm it's yeah. not like it's not you're not getting high on melatonin <laughs> it's not physically possible but here you need a prescription to even get melatonin oh yeah the it's it's a very very strict health system here oh. in South Australia. When I actually came back from Indonesia to um, Australia in 2020 because of COVID, I had to do two weeks in a hotel room in Melbourne, and I had a lot of trouble sleeping when I was there. And so I asked them to provide me with something to help me sleep, and they gave me something that was 
like it wasn't obviously wasn't melatonin because I didn't have a prescription, but yeah. it was like I guess like a watered down version of that. Okay. So it's interesting that like I I imagine it was one you could just buy over the counter, but did it help? No, what? no, no. See, that's the th- that's the <laughs> I thing. I had to ask them for sleeping pills. <laughs> that's that's the after thing. that. It's it's so, ridiculous. Whatever that one was was obviously not the good stuff. No, it was probably lavender and <laughs> yes. rose hip in a capsule. Like that's not helping anyone. It really didn't. No. <laughs> But that's why, because I had done those two weeks in my own hotel quarantine. Right. When I knew that you, I'd been watching what you guys had been through in Sydney. And then when I saw that you we had to do it again in Adelaide, I came and dropped off a little gift package yes. to you guys because I was like, oh, my it was, goodness. It was very nice. That, that was <laughs> the first time I think I actually ever saw you in person was yeah. that and you yelling through a traffic pylon. <laughs> from the, from the, I didn't <laughs> pick it up. Did you not? No, you okay. guys were like, pick oh. up the traffic cone and yell up to us. In my head, you did pick, I, oh, okay. I should have gone with that, yeah, really. <laughs> for next time. It's a better story if yeah. you pick up the traffic cone. <laughs> but, yeah, because I just knew, like, how that was affecting my mental health after two weeks. Yeah. And to know that you'd already done it, then had two weeks stuck in Sydney and then we're about to go back into it again. I just knew, like, whatever I can do to help you guys. (laughs) Here's some snacks and I think there was like a bubble bath or something in there. it was very much appreciated. (laughs) Jade's dad actually brought a a toasty maker, which which was against the rules, but we just used it on on our little balcony. Um, Amazing. Yeah. You guys are just rule breakers. I mean, at some point, (laughs) like, here's the thing. Some rules are just bullshit. Oh, absolutely. It's just a toasty maker. Like, if you can have an iron in a hotel room. Exactly. But then the thing is, I guess they are looking out for, like, the 1% that, like, are going to do something ridiculous if you're allowed to drop off electronics, you know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) People cooking, like, five-star meals or something. I mean, those people probably shouldn't be allowed irons then in the first place. No, you're right. Plus, no one's doing any ironing when they're on a hotel quarantine. absolutely not. (laughs) We have digressed. (laughs) A little bit. Took a hard left. that's okay. It's my podcast, so I'm allowed to do whatever I want. (laughs) So you've been living back or you've been living here in Adelaide now for a year. Almost, yep. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? And just remember that most of my listeners are from Adelaide. Yes, no, I know. <laughs> no, I, I love Adelaide. Like I, I lived here from two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven. Right. So yeah, I met Jade in oh, two thousand. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I met Jade in two thousand and eight and we lived here for three years and then we did some traveling and then went back to Canada for ten years. Yeah. And now we're we're back again. So yeah, no, I, I I I love Adelaide. I love working here. I think the the main issue I'm having is I'm I'm still working from home. I work for a company in Melbourne, um, and I've actually been working from home since 2013. Mm-hmm. So it's been 10 years now of working from home, and I think I'm just over that. Yeah, like I need some some human interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is there much opportunity here in the job that you do to find a, a role that's not um, like online or from um, home? Well, so I work in video games. Um, when um, I, awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's like my childhood dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so like I said, I, I cooked. I, like I was a chef for 10 yeah. years. Um, and that's what I was doing last time I lived in Adelaide. Um, I was working at Scuzzi actually. Mm-hmm. So that was, that's, that was an experience. Um, <laughs> but I knew that I needed to get out of, of hospitality for, you know, addiction reasons. So yeah. 
I got into computers and IT, and then that led to working for a video game studio in Canada as a community manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I just streamed and did, you know, marketing and that kind of thing. Coming here, though, there aren't a lot of video game studios in Australia. Okay. And there are even fewer specifically in South Australia. Yeah. So there's there's not a whole lot yet. I mean, uh, the industry is growing, so hopefully at, at some point there will be. But mm-hmm. for now, it's 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 fine. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So if there's anyone listening today who might um, be resonating with your journey and or is maybe having some issues with addiction obviously you're not a trained professional but what other tips or what advice would you give to those people that are listening yeah over my like few years of sobriety I've had uh, a couple of close friends that I've you know like Lisa said I am not a trained professional but I have helped to get sober and clean and the first step is admitting out loud to someone else that you have a problem. Yeah. Um, Like I knew for quite a while that I had a problem, but just telling myself that doesn't really help. You kind of have to be, in my opinion, you have to be accountable to someone else. Yeah. Because if you're only accountable internally, um, Mm -hmm. those mistakes that you make, you're probably going to keep making them. Mm. So I think very important first step is to to say it out loud. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, easy to let ourselves down like we can get over it if we let ourselves down but it's much worse or it hurts a lot more when we let somebody else down so I think that's a good point a lot harder to look my wife in the eyes and say I relapsed than to just say to myself oh I I messed up yeah see I think for me anyways that's that's the very important first step I, I think meetings like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous are a great starting point. They don't work for everyone. Yeah. But it is, it's a very good resource because you can meet a lot of other people going, you know, through the same struggles that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps, you know, just to know that you aren't the only one. Exactly. And, and that just by having conversations with people, that connection, even if you don't see them ever again, but just hearing someone else say that they're going through the same thing can yeah. do a lot for someone. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's that's the most important part is just asking for help, realizing you have a problem, um, and then, you know, hopefully you have some sort of support system of, you know, family or close friends or a partner, um, and then just trying to figure out where to go from there. Like, yeah. you know, rehab helps a lot of people. It obviously saved my life, yeah. um, but it doesn't work for others. So, I mean, ad- addiction is just like all other mental health. Uh, unfortunately, there's no... One ban- size yeah, fits all. <laughs> exactly. There's no Band-Aid kind of solution that, that fixes it for everyone, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of avenues you can take. Amazing, yeah. And I think, yeah, it is just a matter of, you know, recognizing that you have a problem and, like you said, letting somebody else know and then, you know, hopefully taking some steps together if if, if that's possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think as well, like, it's just a nice reminder that there is a lot of help out there and there are a lot of people that are willing to help as well. For sure. And I think here, um, you know, even just speaking with your GP about it, they're, they're going to know who to help refer you to um, or looking online, you know. Yeah. I don't say it's wise to Google everything, but in this no. kind of case, don't Google symptoms, but you can never, go- <laughs> never Google symptoms, but please like, yeah, if you're, 
you know, if you are out there and you're listening and you are struggling with an addiction of some kind, there is plenty of information on the internet and different um, numbers that you can call or yeah. different yeah, groups that you'd be able to find everywhere, um, no matter where you are. So definitely look for that help if you can. So what do you think that society could do better? Like, do you think that there's something more that can be done from the greater community? Yeah, when it comes to addiction, like I think I read recently, I think it was Canberra is decriminalizing uh, possession of, of illicit drugs. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very important. It, it's a very controversial topic, but yeah. I think 99% of addicts don't want to be addicts. It's not a choice that, that we made. I mean, choices that we made led us to this yes. point. But yep. to be an actual addict is, is not, a dis, not a choice. It's a, it is a disease. It's recognized as a disease. And, you know, if you're caught with a, a gram of cocaine, you probably don't need a year in jail. You probably need rehab and therapy and counseling yeah. to find the root cause of the issue. Yeah. So I think, you know, steps like that to, to decriminalize and to focus on rehabilitation instead of punishment are, are very important. There needs to be that sort of, I guess, gray area is not the right word, but that like common sense, I guess, yeah. aspect to it. Of course, you know, you know, we have a set of laws and rules and things like that I can appreciate. But yeah, I think you're right in what you said that someone who has an amount on them that's for personal use and is suffering from an addiction, sending them to jail is not the best thing for them. No, it, I, I don't think it is. Like yeah. the the amount of people, like I don't know about Australia, but in North America, the amount of people who, you know, go to jail for drug offenses and then end up back in jail for a drug offense is, mm. is you know, shockingly high as opposed to places like uh, the Netherlands where these drugs are decriminalized and you know, instead you're, you're getting treatment for your problems and, yeah. you know, these people end up sober and clean by the end of it for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, and, and maybe you'll have another opinion to me, but I think that the stigma is huge. Yeah. It's rife um, for addicts. Of course. Um, regardless of what the addiction is, whether it's, you know, if it is alcohol or if it's an illicit drug, I think in Australia, people have a very sort of blasé um, opinion, I guess, about someone who might have an alcohol addiction. Yes. I think it's... Um, I think that's world, like maybe not okay. worldwide, but Canada is definitely the, the same, same way. Yeah. yeah. Like, people joke about their drinking problems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, see, that's... Yeah, I think that is definitely something that is in Australia, like very much like, oh, that's just the Aussie way that everyone loves a drink. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the stigma for like drug abuse or drug addiction is huge. Yeah. Like it's the two very different yeah. ball games, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And drug abuse is often looked looked upon like it's just very dirty and Yeah. Like yeah. And I think that people when they think of drug abuse, they think of someone with a needle. Yeah. I think that's the immediate um idea that people have, but it can present in many different ways. It's not someone um like you said, it's not dirty or, you know, 
you know, hunched over in an abandoned warehouse taking drugs. Of course, that, you know, there that may be. But also, yeah. like you said, there's high-functioning addicts yeah. who are going to work every day and they're keeping up with all their bills and things oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. There's It's a very wide scope and I think that we need to sort of, I guess, be a little bit more understanding yeah. as a society yeah. that, like you said, people don't choose to be addicts. No. They've made choices and that they have gotten to that point but yeah. people don't want to stay in an addiction and I think that we need to sort of look at people who are going through that with a lot more kindness. Yeah. I, and I think that, that, you know, kindness piece comes back to everything when we talk about mental yeah. health and like, yeah. I don't, I don't know what you're going through today, Lisa, and you don't necessarily know what I'm going through, but everyone out there is going through some level of shit. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. We're, we're all going through something. So I think doing your best to just take a step back and, and be more kind and trying to be understanding of, of everyone around us is very important. Absolutely. Also, Aaron asked me if he was allowed to swear on the podcast today. <laughs> and I still hesitated. <laughs> I know. I could see it in your face. I was like, there's, there's just no other way to word this one, though. It's all right. I said that it was okay to swear. I've toned it down. <laughs> I have toned it down. It's all good. So... Obviously, you've had a lot of support, like we've talked about as well. Who do you think has been the most influential person on your journey through to, you know, your sobriety for eight years now? Okay. So it sounds dickish, but I, ha I, have, to, I have to give myself credit first. Yes. I'm so glad that was your okay, answer. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's, that was a big part of, of rehab is like, you, like I'm the one doing this. Yeah. Like Jade is a, my wife is a close second because yes. she's been there for me every step of the way yeah. and she's you know before I got clean she put up with a lot of stuff that a you know person shouldn't have to put up with but yeah you know it was it was me who I've done this hard work and, I, and I've I've made this journey so I give myself a lot of credit which is really it's a really awkward thing to say out loud yeah um but yeah myself Jade is a close second um my family is is very close behind that because they've been, you know, supportive of me the whole time. And then obviously I have, you know, some, some close friends yeah. that, that are still around and they understand, you know, what I went through and what I'm still going through. So, yeah, I love that answer very much. And I wasn't sure if you were going to say you, I didn't, I was unsure, no, just, but I'm the, so for glad. For the listeners, that was not planned. <laughs> I didn't set that up. No, she put me on the spot there. <laughs> and then I wanted to ask you as well. Um, I think this will probably be the, the wrap-up for us. So looking back now, with hindsight of everything that you've been through and how far you've come, how do you feel about that path that you've been down? I feel pretty great about it. Like I, I've, I've talked about this a lot to people in my life that a lot of people have said, if you could go back and you know not try cocaine for the first time, would you? And it's, it's a hard question to answer because, you know, part of me obviously wants to not have ever tried it. But had I not made those exact decisions along the way, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Yeah. And I'm pretty happy with where I am right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think I would I don't think I would change anything. Yeah. And I, I like that answer because I think everything that we go through as people that is what builds us into the person that we are now. And, you know, I, 
have said before, and I'll say it again, I am so proud of you. Thank I've, you. Literally, Aaron and I have met today in person for the first time, but we've known each other through the wonderful world of social media for some time. And I'd seen bits and pieces about what you'd been through, but never really known the full story. Right. And when I have someone come onto the podcast, I send them out a little info pack just so that they have something to, I guess, know what's going to come or the kind of questions that we're going to discuss. And so he sent me some notes back and that's the first sort of insight I'd had, but it's not, not as detailed as obviously what we've spoken course, about yeah. today. Yeah. And I just am so so proud of you for Thank how you. far you've come and and you know eight and did you say eight years sober yeah yep. like that's massive it's a long so, time yeah yeah it's a really long time and you should be very proud of yourself and you, you know you have put all the hard work in and you've gotten here so and I just know that there are going to be so many people who are listening to this who are going to resonate with parts of your story I hope so and you're going to have helped them in their own journey. So thank you for doing that. And thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. All right, guys, I will see you next time. And don't forget that all the information will be in the show notes. Doobie! If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.